0: hey guys welcome to what's the pitch where my co-host and i are going to be talking everything dragon's den and business pitches alike my name's pamela
1: and i'm her co-host hi i'm maya
0: Hey guys, welcome back to What's the Pitch. It's episode 11 and I'm here with Maya. We're in person for the first time doing this podcast and it feels so, so great. We're so excited to let you know what happened on this week's episode of Dragon's Den and I'm going to hand over to Maya to let you know what we're talking about today. Today
1: we had an ethical coffee company, an app for organising your outfits, healthy snack bars, a disability aid with a difference, and a hand sanitizer company.
0: Okay, so let's dive right into pitch number one, which was an ethical coffee company with the coffee being sourced from Honduras and um the guy was from there originally uh he met his wife, I think now um in the Cayman Islands. I think. (laughs) I could be completely making that up. They were definitely on holiday somewhere together. They salsed together. It was like love at first sight or something. (laughs) And so they decided that they wanted to create a coffee company, which was called Kariba Coffee Company. They were asking for £30,000 for a 10% stake in their business. And their business launched in 2018. They're really, really ethically sourced. They were talking about green coffee beans and ensuring farmers receive a fair price for their coffee. And they're using sustainable farming practices. So it was really, really important to them from the sustainability aspect.
1: Yeah, uh, it was Ellie and Wilma. And Wilma was from Honduras originally. And so the whole integration for this company was one he came to the UK and didn't like the coffee at all. Uh, He thought he had much better coffee back home and wanted to bring that to the UK. And he also has seen how big coffee companies treat the farmers in Honduras. And so they really wanted to make sure those farmers were paid a fair price for their coffee and something that they're not getting from the large corporations that kind of Drive the price down, make it really hard for those farmers to make a living. So that was their kind of USP. Was, was it? it? Well, <laughs> well, the, that's that's the point that the drains were well. That was that's what they were selling as their USP. Mm, I and think it's it quite a quite, weak one. Yeah, it's not quite strong enough to because there are other sustainable or fair priced coffee companies. What they were trying to say was that they really tell the story of the farmers. So they wanted to, on social media to. Have these videos of them meeting the farmers, talking to them. And, you know, it was Stephen who was saying, it, that's nice, but it's questioning. Gonna, yeah,
0: it's not going to work well on Instagram or like a social media in terms of a marketing strategy because videos are long right and unless if you're doing instagram videos they limit your reel to like 30 seconds or a minute anyway so somebody would actually genuinely have to be completely captivated in that first kind of 30 seconds of what you're saying in order to click to actually continue watching or otherwise it's going to be 30 seconds and then they're just going to scroll on and they might not even make it to 30 seconds they'll scroll on after like five seconds if you don't capture their attention whereas if you did something like a youtube ad for example You can have much longer YouTube ads. So I assume if it was that, then yes, you could probably do like a full story with a background and understanding who the farmer is, what they do on a day to day, getting to know the farmers, that would be okay. But if you're thinking about just like general Instagram, especially things like TikTok, Twitter, anything like that, where there's like a limit to how much you can show in a video, then I think it's going to be really, really challenging for them to actually be able to use that as a marketing strategy to grow their business.
1: Yeah, I mean, Stephen was questioning with that strategy what the click-through rate would be. He was saying that it might get a lot of views, but it probably won't get a lot of engagement and it won't get a lot of click-through. And that's true in the sense that that's usually the kind of marketing brands do when they're already established. So, like, Patagonia does a lot of, like, documentaries. And... They're really good, but it's like, that's building the brand, sure, but in terms of generating those sales, it's not the most effective use of, like, a marketing budget. And the other point was that that story and that ethical nature wasn't on the packaging of the coffee. The coffee packaging didn't have any story. You know, Caribe is just, you know, Spanish for the Caribbean, and
0: there's no link there's no there's link no... to the actual company apart from that's that's like a sentimental link for them because they met in the caribbean right yeah. that is a sentimental so unless you tell us your love story on every piece of packaging that you're deciding to send your coffee out on nobody's going to understand why your coffee company is called cariba peter was very very quick to actually challenge them was like why don't you call it like farmer's coffee or wilmer's coffee and he was saying Wilma's not a very memorable name, it's not, it's not, I'm a nobody, and I'm kind of thinking, the first thing I thought of before Peter even said it was Flintstones, Flintstones has Wilma on it, and then Peter was like, everybody knows Wilma, because we used to watch the Flintstones, and okay, maybe like Gen Z has no idea what we're talking about here in terms of the Flintstones, right, but... Like, Flintstones was a massive cartoon back in my day. I loved watching it. It was really, really fun. And there was a character called Wilma.
1: Yeah, because he was saying, yeah, he was saying Wilma. He was like, it's hard to pronounce, but it's not hard to pronounce. And yeah, because of the Flintstones, most people will know how to say it. And I think it was actually Stephen who kind of, because Peter, yeah, Peter talked about, like, calling it the Green Farm. And I think it was Stephen who was like, why don't you just call it Wilma's Coffee? And Peter immediately, like took to that idea and was like yeah are you willing to change the name because it's your story that's going to be selling the coffee and they needed that because it was very very modest the amount of money they made like the end of this year they wanted to make 50k they wanted to make 50k in revenue. A gross profit of 35 and like a net of 5k so it was a very very small yeah really really business. small business
0: i mean they had some good ambition there they were looking to you know become a national coffee company i think that is quite ambitious for the small company that they currently are they're always going to be up against some really really big players in the market and they will always be up against you know lots of independent coffee companies as well which are You know, which have their own coffee shops, for example. London has so many independent coffee shops, and so do all of the major cities around the UK. They now have their own local coffee shops where they will source for particular coffee beans or particular types of coffee. And I kind of feel like they would be entering such a saturated market, it will be quite difficult for them to become a national coffee brand.
1: Yeah, and to to become a national coffee brand, you really have to have that hook why someone's going to buy your coffee and not another brand. And I guess, you know, the, the main reason they brought it over was the taste, but they're not really the only ones bringing coffee from Honduras or from Central America. So they are going to have a lot of competition. Deborah thought they hadn't really found a hook that would actually make them stand out. And Sara, you know, for most of the dragons, it was like, it's too small, it's not the right time. Peter was interested if they changed the name.
0: I was quite interested to understand why Peter was interested in this. Like, I I couldn't quite get it. Apart from the fact that all of the dragons did mention the coffee tasted great. So they were all very happy with the product itself. It was a very, very good tasting coffee. And it seemed to be of kind of quite high quality. But yeah, all of the dragons were out apart from Peter. Peter was the one that was just like, okay, I'll consider, but are you going to change your name? Luckily, Wilma did say yes. We will definitely consider changing the name and that is what Peter wanted to hear because I think Peter would have not considered offering if they decided to keep it with Kariba Coffee. Um so by Wilmer saying yes he would consider changing it, Peter was like, Okay, I will offer you all of the money, but for twenty five percent of the business. So he was looking for over double what was what was originally pitched for.
1: Yeah, I would say you know what I think Peter was interested? He has a track record of building products food products on the backing of a story about an entrepreneur so he turned reggae reggae sauce into a huge company pretty much just on the back of levi roots and how likable he was and his story and how charismatic he was and turned him into like a bit of a celebrity and sold the product with that story so if anyone can do this can't like once they make the change from just and it's feels a bit generic to actually Wilma's coffee and it's his story and his connection to Honduras, his connection to the farmers. I think that then Peter has experienced turning that sort of story into a big business. So I think that's why he saw it in a way that like he could make it work that maybe the other dragons couldn't because they haven't really done that before. Yeah,
0: that's actually a really, really good point. But in saying that, Obviously, they had to go and discuss it together as husband and wife. And so they kind of just said, you know, that's not how much they wanted to sell off their business for. They were coming in for £30,000 for 10% stake, and Peter offering 25% was just a bit too much. So they did come in with a counter offer and asked Peter to come down to 15%. So that was unfortunately not the right kind of counter offer that Peter was looking for. his offer stood at 25%, and they've still tried to counter. Um, so props for them for trying, but even at 20%, unfortunately, Peter decided to say he's out.
1: Yeah, I mean, was that the right decision over five? But they came up to 20, right? So it was another 5%. They're growing so slowly. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, the revenue projections are so small that you just think that Peter could do so much this business if they came in and they were already selling hundreds of thousands pounds worth you go fair enough they they know where they're going but you know without peter this is going to stay i think quite a small coffee company that they're going to slowly get into independent shops a few shops build their name but i can't see it growing much and competing with the sort of national companies just the way if they just continue doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it was the wrong decision. I think Peter would have completely propelled their business. And, you know, with the likes of the experience that he's got in other small companies, I think they've definitely missed a trick here. I personally wouldn't have gone down that route. I would have taken... The amount that Peter was offering, yes, I would have tried to counter maybe for a little bit less, and if Peter said no, I'd just be like, okay, fine, I will accept your offer.
1: But they didn't, so you know they'll go off and see if they can make it work without Peter. But yeah, they didn't want to take the offer.
0: All right, let's move on to the next pitch, and the next one was really really interesting for me personally. So this lady Bianca, she gave up her banking job to start this new business, and it was. It was a tech business, right? It's an app, um but it's around like sustainable fashion. It's bringing back a culture of caring around clothes to be more mindful about clothes. And we've had quite a few similar, not like the same type of app, but we've had a lot more companies this year going through that kind of sustainable and recyclable clothing. And so this was another business that was coming in that had built an app where you could basically, you know, kind of do Tinder for clothes. The company was called Wearing, which I think was a pretty decent name. Like, you can understand, it was spelt a little bit different. It was spelt, I think, W-H-E-R-I-N-G. And um, she was looking for £100,000 for 4% equity, right, the first thing I'm going to mention, it is a tech company, so she has valued it extremely high. And I think, I mean, we'll go into the details, but it definitely wasn't the right valuation for a lot of the dragons. And personally, I do think it was quite tough because she is pre-revenue. Um, so what the app does is you can use the app, to basically log all of your clothing in your wardrobe so you take pictures of it and log it onto the app which means that you can just scroll through all of your different clothings to put together an outfit for the day if you wanted to now this is very interesting because this is something that I thought of a very long time ago maybe like five years ago and I wanted to do something like that and I was trying to find an app that was similar there was something that was called like a style book where you basically take pictures of everything that you own and you basically log it in and you have to categorize what it is. For this particular app from Bianca, like you take a picture and apparently it uses some sort of AI to recognize what sort of clothing it is, what kind of style it might be. So I thought that that was interesting because then you don't have to do all of the tagging, you don't have to do all of the work, I guess. So it's a bit simpler. But the other aspect of it, I guess in terms of trying to make some money was around promoting, you know, sustainable clothing being partnered with like services or products where you could, within the app, go and click through to purchase something that you see that might go with your outfit. So there was all this kind of like AI technology that she was talking about where, you know, if you've got an outfit that you've pulled up and there's like an accessory or something that it would show you that could go with it. Um that you could either buy or rent, I thought that was quite an interesting concept, yeah,
1: I thought it was I thought it was an interesting concept. I mean, one thing I will okay, they didn't mention the team structure, but I will kind of commend her in that she said that everything in the app it, all the technology was proprietary, yeah, which means she owns all of it, which hasn't been a theme on this season of Dragons. set people keep coming in with like tech that they've outsourced and they don't really have you know, control of or don't have in-house. They were asking how good the... So Stephen was asking about the AI and how it works. And I guess it's going to learn based on what outfits you put together because it it seemed to have some computer vision that is recognising, like you said, recognising the different styles. And she said at first it just tries to put together stuff that doesn't clash, which... Which led Stephen to say, well, it wouldn't recommend Peter's socks with his suit. Yeah, that was quite
0: funny. I did think that that was a strange comment, though, because the the dragons, I think it was Peter, that was saying, you know, a style is completely subjective, right? So it's really, really up to you. Everybody's got different styles. So even though she was saying she was going for things that didn't clash, some people just really enjoy that. Some yeah. people love clashes of colour and they just like it and that is that fits their personality. So that wouldn't work for them, would it?
1: No, but I think I think that, again, and, you know, we didn't get into... It's an early stage company, so we didn't get into this, but it, it's all going to depend on how well it learns. Yeah. So once you start putting outfits together, it's going to be... It needs to be like Netflix, where it's looking at what you're putting together... What are the commonalities between those things, and then suddenly it can replicate it with things that you know you've logged, but maybe you logged them a while ago and you've actually forgotten, like you own it or you you didn't think of putting it together. So it's all going to come down to how well the algorithm learns, and that's
0: going to come down to how much money she's able to put into the business. And
1: that's that's a good point because money is an interesting factor. She's, oh yes, she's put seventy k of her own savings into the business. They're spending six thousand a month, so they're running out of money. She's got ten K left in the bank.
0: So it's gonna last her another month. <laughs> Amazingly,
1: like like they're gonna get through a month. She's seriously then,
0: high up against it here. Yeah,
1: and in the middle of like month two they're in trouble. Yep. You know, and the thing is it's like she's valuing it almost like the question of the valuation is like where does it come from? Because she talked about like other high growth tech companies. Yeah. And there are loads of companies that are like We make no money, but we are adding like 100,000 users a month or something. And you go, fair enough. But she's pre-revenue. She didn't sound like she had high user numbers. But that doesn't
0: replicate to users necessarily. I mean, I could be a person that downloads the app five times across five different devices, right? I'm just one user and I might not even use it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because downloads, you know, really the figure in the tech industry is monthly active users. Like how many people are actually using it every month? run and how many so many people put apps on their phone never use it get rid of it later or use it once like the question is how many people are continuously using this app and how many more people are growing i don't think did she say how many people like they're getting per week per month yeah i didn't so she's she can't really call herself high growth she doesn't have a lot of users and so really that that valuation it was just ridiculous. It well, was
0: a 2.5 million valuation yeah. on a pre revenue where they don't have many users. She doesn't actually have a full product yet. I mean, yes, she gave a demonstration of the product as it is at the moment, which is take a picture, it's able to categorize the clothes and everything. But that is not what her actual revenue model and her business model is actually looking at because they were rightly asking, how is she going to make any money out of this? Because it didn't seem like there was some sort of subscription service with it. She talked about her, her um, business model basically being, you know, if you purchase something, they will take a margin if there was, like, click-through through the app, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so, so you're going to arrange your outfits, and then the app is going to encourage you, if you want to buy more clothes, to buy from second-hand, pre-loved, or however you want to say it, companies and sustainable fashion companies. So... Yeah, she had partnerships with Trade, Thrift, Oxwash, and so their their um, inventory would be available through the app, and anything purchased through the app, they, they'd negotiate like a 10 to 15% commission. And then the kind of bigger piece, what they're aiming for is to, yeah, to build up this data. Again, it's the learning piece. To build up the data on how people are putting the outfits together, what outfits people mm. own, And
0: sell that data. And
1: sell that data to companies and say like this is these are the fashion trends, this is how people are kind of restyling. Yeah, and they'd be able to
0: section that, wouldn't they? So they'd be able to say, you know, females between the ages of twenty to thirty, or females that are millennials, or females that are Gen Z tend to have these items of clothing within their wardrobe and they tend to buy fast fashion or they tend to buy things that are on trend or they I mean fast fashion probably isn't the right route to go if she's looking to be a sustainable company right but it's what's what are the trends what are the key things that people are buying you know are the 40 to 50 year olds purchasing more things that are vintage so therefore you want to make sure that anybody that is 40 to 50 and female on their product options you know have some vintage things there for them because that's kind of what they're looking to buy it really does depend on the technology, that is definitely for sure. And I can understand, I mean, she's looking to raise a million pounds in the next year because that's what that's what she needs, she thinks. But I think trying to raise a million pounds and valuing your company at 2.5 million where you've not yet actually got in place anything that's going to bring you any revenue in, I think that's a very, very, like, wrong move to be making in front of the dragons
1: it's it's wrong for the dragons i mean if she's if she really wants that valuation she's going to need to get into like Y combinator or some kind of silicon valley uh startup scheme or in front of silicon valley investors who do go for like maybe not that big but you know i still think it's even too high for some of them but like go for quite big valuations on like idea stage companies just if they see the potential i mean that data uh, it could be really useful, and you could take people who are uh, interested in fast fashion, and then hopefully the app would like turn them towards. Well, actually, you you already have stuff in your wardrobe, or you, but you can complement it with these, you know, pre-loved clothes. These clothes that are sustainable, rather than going back to fast fashion, and increase that market. So the hope would be that they actually could build that. Second hand market.
0: Yeah, it's an educational piece as well, right? Yeah. I think there are a lot of people that yes, this our world is dying, right? We all know that. We're trying to be more eco-friendly, we're trying to be more sustainable across a number of different avenues. We talked about coffee earlier, we've talked about clothes, we've talked about not using plastic and having, you know, reusable deodorants, for example, on this season. There's been a lot of eco friendly and sustainable businesses. That is where the world is moving to but there still needs to be an educational piece right that that is the key thing for a lot of these organizations there are many people that are still not looking down that route there are many people that are still you know going through single use plastic there is a lot of people that are still using and not recycling so it's an educational piece it's a culture shift for the world it's very very difficult to try to just well, it's very difficult to just assume that everybody that's going to use this app is 100 percent going to be sustainable and they're on that, they're on that journey, right? I think it is a very long educational piece. You're changing someone's behavior, you're really trying to make sure that they understand what is the reason. why should they be compelled to do this? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you're going to have to educate people and and that absolutely is yeah that's that's a difficult long journey to be honest one of the things i think she actually missed a trick on was was actually connecting users so i remember watching about this company in japan and it's actually a storage company It's really interesting because instead of like going to a self-storage warehouse yourself you pack it up in these boxes they send you they take it to the storage they photograph all the items and so that way you bring up your app and you can actually see what you have in storage on your app at any time and the one of the things for them is that you can sell the things in your storage to pe- other people on the app. So other people, if you put something up for sale, can see what you have and you're trying to get rid of. Mm. And either the company will move it to their storage okay. or bring it to your house. So with this app, that's a, probably a massive opportunity that she's missing. Whereas like, if you want to sell your old clothes, like people could put it up and then the algorithm could actually recommend it to people looking for clothes. Yeah, and say, 100%. Like, the, these clothes are in our like user marketplace, and they go with your clothes, and so you're encouraging that second hand market by having the, like making it peer to peer, making users sell to each other, and you can still take that commission.
0: Yeah, it's another revenue stream. There. Yeah, I it will be sh- like another vintage or Depop, right? You yeah, commission. I mean, if you can offer, if you can partner with, you know, parcel services, etc., where you can offer free shipping or like a reduced shipping, a lot of people will probably come away from things like vintage and depot.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, because you because it becomes like all in one, like you're organizing your, out, your wardrobe, you like look at it and go, I haven't worn that in a while, let me just put it up for sale and then and then, like someone else buys it and so instead of having like multiple apps like something for organization something to sell it becomes like the one go-to place so I think she was definitely kind of missing a trick in terms of just going down the route of like plugging in second-hand stores and sustainable stores and only making money if people buy new stuff because you know If you really make this about the circular economy, you can make it that users are just selling close to each other and then people aren't even buying, you know, new stuff from shops or, you know, obviously you don't necessarily want to put (laughs) charity shops out of business, but it's like so many people don't take their stuff to charity shops. And if you make this a more convenient option, then you're actually growing the circular economy. So there's a lot more I think she could do with this idea than she's doing
0: another idea Maya I, we're, we're coming up with so many business ideas on this on this podcast I think we're gonna we're gonna be serial entrepreneurs by the yeah. end of this though. yeah
1: we need to just do like the, the spin-off of this podcast is just us launching the better versions of <laughs> ideas people bring on the show oh could
0: you imagine all right so um Yeah, she didn't get any offers. No, the valuation
1: was too high. The valuation was
0: way
1: too high. Tuka said, basically, for this to work, someone would have to give her like a check for ten million. Yeah, ten million pounds because yeah, even like her first year revenue predictions. Before we move on, we just we do have to mention that her first year revenue predictions was to go from nothing to five hundred thousand pounds in revenue. Yeah, based on like I don't know what that's based on, and then even then she's predict- predicting that she's going to lose, like, 444,000. So that's why she wants to raise the million, because she's basically going to blow it all. Uh, you know, Um, yeah. Which and and then a million could not be enough because the million is only enough if she hits the revenue number. Yeah. Otherwise she you know, (laughs) probably gonna lose even more and
0: Well, yeah, considering her run rate currently, six K a month, right? That's that hundred grand is not gonna last very long if she's gonna be making a loss first year. So, you know, or that million even. So, yeah, she's got a lot of work to do. I mean, don't get us wrong, the dragons all agreed. She was brilliant. Like she was really, really smart. She was very, very intelligent. And they all said, you know, if it didn't work out, they would all offer her a job. So you know, she's got a fallback plan there.
1: Yeah, she does. And she, yeah, she she might need it unless she can convince a very wealthy investor, probably in America, <laughs> to to back this. I think she is going to need that. Like that, she should keep that job offer in her back pocket.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. All right, pitch three. harry turpin coming to us with a company called the savorists at first i thought it was the Savourists, um and not just the savorists but i got that a bit wrong so it's the savorists for like savory food um and these were basically seeded um or seed based bars like protein bars like those seeded seed nut bars type things um and yeah they didn't mentioned what he was looking for it was a very short pitch it doesn't really matter to be fair i mean the only thing that did matter was that he came from a musical theater background he that's what he studied. From, he
1: came from a musical theatre background and then refused to do anything related to musical theatre. I thought it was a bit... The dragons kept going, dance! Like, <laughs> I mean, he did, like, a two-step yeah. shuffle I mean, or something. Would, they were like, they were like, why didn't you come in singing? You know? And he's like... I, he just wanted to pitch his business. Like, leave the man alone. But, um, yeah, that's... Not a great business. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, that mattered, and the fact that his name was Turpin, and his... Uh, father's name was Richard, Richard Turpin, so like Dick Turpin, which is a famous highwayman who used to like rob rich people, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. f- rob their carriages. And yeah, apparently, because the grandmother had a sense of humor, decided to give his dad that name. So, you know, he had all these stories around him were more interesting than the business. <laughs> than
0: the, That's business the, hum- the
1: business was a seed bar that, according to the dragons, did not taste right. It, it didn't yeah, taste Yeah, I mean, good.
0: Tuka was trying to be extremely politically yeah, correct. Because yeah. he basically wanted to say it was shit. Yeah. But,
1: <laughs> but
0: he didn't want to say that. So he was just like, you know, personal preference. Personal preference is, I I, I don't like it. I and Sarah like had to finish well, the <laughs> <laughs> sentence for him. He's trying to say politely, he doesn't like the product.
1: Yeah. He was just like, yeah, but it's just, just my personal preference is I don't like it. But, you know, yeah, he was, he didn't, because because Harry seemed like a nice guy. They didn't want to crush him, but they didn't like it. You know, Deborah kind of was interested in the sense that she's been looking for a protein bar that isn't sweet, and she thought this could, like, this could be right up her alley. I think less the taste, I think she was okay with, like, she could eat it, but she thought the branding was terrible. It the looked branding
0: looked like every other protein bar that was out there. Exactly. Basically. So there's no distinction between this. I wouldn't know if I walked into a shop seeing a whole load of bars. You know when you walk into like a whole barracks? or even now if you walk into a Sainsbury's, they've got that small section on the side where they've got a whole load of different bars, protein bars, cereal bars, seed and nut bars, they all look the same. Right, so how am I gonna know which one is sweet, which one's savory? If this is the only savoury bar out there, it needs to be a complete brand new packaging where it's like, I can identify it, I literally walk up, grab it, go pay for it and let's go.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the one that's kind of emerged that is in a similar kind of style is Greys. So Greys have snack boxes and snack bars that are a bit healthier and not so sweet and sugary and they have different protein bites. And their branding is, you know, bit more distinctive and they do stand out a little bit but even it's a hard business because even they had to they gave away a lot of product like they got into a lot of snack boxes and sample boxes and got people to try a lot before it took off so it's a hard market and he didn't really have enough to stand out i i mean yeah i think for now deborah's just gonna have to like buy a packet of peanuts or something yeah (laughs) <laughs> Instead. Oh,
0: nice. <laughs> oh, well, I'm getting a bit hungry again. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you may have guessed, Harry unfortunately didn't receive any offers, but he tried to leave the den uh, singing and dancing.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did a couple of like tap steps on his way out. <laughs> he did, he
0: did on the way to the elevator. Next pitch. Okay, so at first I thought it was all about Jez and Katie because they were coming up through the elevator, and um, it wasn't about Jez and Katie at all. Uh, Except they were modelling the next product. And this product was a mobility aid with a difference. And it was run by a lady called Lindsay Waters, who has a very, very amazing backstory, I think. You know, it's very, very inspiring. She was roughly Sarah's age, which I guess is late 30s when she basically hit um a bit of a crisis with her health i guess and unfortunately she had her leg removed and was it her leg yeah yeah she had her leg
1: removed she had a she had an mrsa infection which is uh, those bugs you can pick up in hospitals and yeah she had to have her leg amputated
0: so um after that obviously your life is going to change once you've had that happen and she was kind of talking about how she didn't feel like she found anything that was not a brown or grey or black walking stick and anything that made her felt confident. Like it was just very, very boring um, and she didn't like it. And also because she's currently in a wheelchair, anytime that she goes to an MRI scan, you know, you can't use any of those walking sticks to help you walk across so you're basically being manhandled from your from your wheelchair to the table to have your MRI scan which can be very debilitating and so she decided to create her own acrylic walking stick and not only were these walking sticks acrylic, which means you would be able to use them if you were entering into an MRI scan, um, but they came in at a range of colours and loads of patterns and it was like some of them are really sparkly, some of them are like neon colours, it was really, really great. And so she started this company called Neowalk and she was in the den asking for eighty thousand pounds for fifteen percent of her business and yeah. Jez and Katie were there to basically model these walking sticks um, because, yeah, they were using them. And it looked great. I mean, the product looked amazing. I I really thought it was so great. And it seemed like it gave them and her a lot of confidence using it. Like, they didn't feel like, you know, it was horrible to use. It could match their personality. Some of them were, like, glow-up ones um, where you could like, turn a light on. I thought that was really, really cool. And then, like, you can make it fun. I think for people that have these kinds of disabilities, you know, they're already dealing with so much. Why not have something that's going to help them that will also make them smile?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love these. They were so cool. As you said, acrylic walking sticks in a range of colours. Some of them light up. And her mission was all about you know, encouraging people to look past the disability by making them stylish, making them colourful, making them fun. She wants to destigmatize and normalise walking sticks and disability age.
0: And she 100% should do that. I, I genuinely think that, especially because a lot of the times people associate walking sticks with the elderly, right? Yeah. And you don't have to be old to have a walking stick. Yes, okay, maybe when you do get older, you know... Your mobility is a little bit lessened, and everything, so you might need to use a walking stick when you're older. But there are plenty of people who are young that have a disability, which means they can't they can't walk, or they need a walking aid.
1: Yeah, and yeah, so she she has this amazing mission. She was an amazing person. Yeah, you know, um, she started this in 2013, and for a while was doing about ten thousand a year. Yeah, it was just a side hustle. Yeah, because she had lots of other stuff going on. She's a circus performer. She lost her leg, and. Yet yeah, she was in the Olympics, the twenty twelve uh, opening Olympic ceremony, opening ceremony and closing ceremony. She
0: flying across the stadium. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She that. flew
1: across the stadium attached to a motorcycle. So amazing, and so yeah, she was like she was a great entrepreneur, and you just wanted to root for her and the business. Like she's now started um, taking, taking it more it, seriously. Taking it more seriously. Yeah, she did seventy k in sales last year, and then you know, at the end of this year, she's looking at 200,000. Which
0: is crazy. Which is
1: really, really good. And she's
0: got, like, celebrity endorsements now as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is so great. Like, the the growth that she's had over the last couple of years, like, it's just crazy. And, you know, I feel like they're not overly expensive, so she was talking about like the average retail price being around seventy five pounds. Yeah,
1: well, seventy five pounds. The most expensive those glass ones are about one hundred nineteen. Yeah. She so one of the thing benefits of these acrylic walking sticks is that you can take them in where there's a magnet scanner. It's got no metal in it, so people can use them when they're going to these scans. And so she wanted to go through. The NHS to yeah. kind of grow the business and the stick she was aiming to get into the NHS was about forty pounds. Yeah. Now Tuka thought that that she should be able to do better because they cost her about sixteen pounds to make on average, and Tuka thought that you could get the price down because she's getting the acrylic um, from China. From China, she, Tuka thought she could get it down to about five dollars. And it should make the the whole price should be about five dollars to make, which means she could go cheaper, and she will have to go cheaper to go to the NHS because they are very cost sensitive. And the dragons did kind of think even at forty pounds, it was quite an expensive solution if you're trying to sell to the NHS.
0: Yeah, Tuka gave her some really really good advice there, which I thought was really really interesting because he offered that advice for free basically, right? He was just like. Give China a call, give your manufacturers a call. Tell them that you're going to be pitching for some really really big clients, and you need to get the price of the price of the materials down, and hopefully that will then be able to help her in terms of getting something into the n h s
1: yeah the real sticking point though was kind of this is a really nice business, but there's no way to stop someone else doing it so yeah. she walking sticks exist. you can't pay in a walking stick yeah. and She's trying to get sort of design protection on the different colours that she's got. But basically, then any style she hasn't got, someone could do Yeah. So it, that just comes down to being like artistic and, you know, creating something that doesn't infringe on her design. And that's that's not that hard to get around. So that is one thing that kind of put the dragons off. You know, Sarah was actually saying, thinking maybe she should just go and get debt, go and get loans yeah. to grow the business. Rather than giving away a share of her company.
0: Yeah, and I think she had a point there though, because okay, fair enough. Yes, she was asking for a lot of money here, eighty grand, right? But in fair, in fairness, like if she was to bring her price down and she was able to get the cost of the production much lower, she probably wouldn't need eighty thousand. She could probably come down quite a bit. So let's say you're coming down to like fifty thousand that you're needing thousand pound loan you probably get that around you know two to three percent interest even in like current climate uh, you know depending on your financial situation etc but i think like there will be businesses or you know banks that are willing to do that kind of loan you're only having to pay two percent interest two to three percent interest you're not having to give away any share of your business at all and you've got all of the say still you know you're the sole owner of the business you're able to do what you want, go down the routes that you want, um, you know, make more, design more walking sticks that you, that you like and then try and sell them as much as possible. Like, remember, she's got pretty decent revenue and she's got celebrity endorsements. So I kind of feel like a lot of people would probably go down to her specifically to Neo Neowalk, specific to this particular um, company.
1: Yeah, and I think she's making enough revenue to service that kind of debt quite easily. So that's definitely a route she can go down. For the Dragons, at £8,000, especially for Tuka, it was like, if she'd come in asking for £30,000, £40,000, you could maybe take a chance on this. We saw Tuka take a chance on the blood flow device to help with DVTs earlier in the season. So he's not above taking a chance to get a product into the NHS and... But with this, he just felt like she was asking for too much money for it to be worth just taking that punt. So maybe if she had thought about before coming on that dragon could get her cost down and maybe she wouldn't actually need as much money as she asked for, she could have lowered her ask. But because she didn't and because there's no real protection in the business, the dragons weren't interested. But I think if she takes that that advice, you know, gets Debt, a line of credit, and grows the business that way. This is going to be a really big business for her. I don't know whether it will get to a size where an investor gets a sizable return, but if she does it without an investor, she's going to have, I think, really good profits from this. So she should just continue growing it.
0: At this point, we're coming into our last pitch, and there were no. It's not that there were no offers because we did have an offer in the very first one, but it just wasn't taken. Right, so it got pulled. I was like. Are we going into are we going into an actual episode where there is no investment from anyone? I was thinking, are we really gonna go down that route but I was like surely not And there was quite a long length for the very last pitch and so I was thinking, okay, so surely there must be some sort of investment coming. And in walked Josh and Lee. <laughs> for a company called Let us
1: Sanitize. Well, b- before they were even walked in, I mean, they seemed quite—they're quite, quite laddie, right? They, they are they, very, very laddie. They were—they were, they were basically teasing each other about their weight before they ended the day. I mean, it was hilarious. And, <laughs> it was—it
0: was—it was—it seemed like they had really good chemistry, right? Yeah. They'd known each other. They were friends. They'd known each other for a long time. Both entrepreneurs slash cofounders of their own businesses already. And it just so happened that, you know, during COVID, their businesses weren't doing particularly well. They had yeah. to stall their businesses. Yeah. So they decided to collaborate and do something quick off the mark that was going to be useful in the pandemic. So they created a business called Let's Sanitize. And part of it was customizable hand sanitizer stations. So, you know, like when you walk into any store, they'll have like the yeah. hand um hand sanitizer dispensers, basically that stand that's in it, anybody can customize it to, you know, whether it's the brand of whatever store it's in, you know, if it's one that's in an airport, for example, they might have it specifically to say, you know, Heathrow Terminal 5 or whatever. So any of these branded stands, they were selling those out to organizations. And then they were also creating their own hand sanitizer through contacts that they had, and that grew. Their their product line grew a little bit, and now they're kind of becoming a full hand care lifestyle brand. So they had like, hand wash, hand sanitizers, hand cream, all of these things. Um, and I thought they did really, really well, given like how quickly they had to act and the amount of revenue that they managed to bring in. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know it was COVID. I know that everyone was using hand sanitizer, hand gel, et cetera, et cetera. So there was definitely an opportunity. But well done to right. these two for literally jumping on that bandwagon immediately and getting through. When we talk about the numbers, you'll understand.
1: Yeah, they're. Re- I mean, they're clearly very, very good entrepreneurs. You know, one had a photo booth kind of events business one had a recruitment business. The event business was turning over like one point one million a year when COVID hit. The recruitment business nine hundred thousand a year. So like these guys, their businesses are doing were doing really well. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened and they pivoted and they've shown they have the skills to pivot very, very quickly. And with the hand sanitizer stations, you know, um they've sold one point one million Worth of hand sanitizer stations already. They've sold 350,000 worth of the other products the hand sanitizer, the hand soap, the hand lotion. And they feel like that because they've branched into becoming this like hand care company, that they are poised to continue this company and its success even after people become less. You know eager to buy hand sanitizer
0: I don't think that's going to happen just yet I think i mean yeah I, don't get me wrong. The dragons are basically challenging on them. you know the pandemic is coming to an end, and you hopefully. know every, hopefully and and you know people are kind of going back to normal quote unquote and so you know is their business a dying business and to be fair, I think they challenged back and they had a really, really good answer, which was basically around you know people are more. Successful, susceptible now to using these things. It's just kind of become a bit of a normal way of life. I always keep hand gel in my bag, just in case you never know. And I think in terms of like personal preference, for some people they will just continue using hand gel. You know, they don't want germs spread around. We know that you know using things like antibac and using things like face masks, even just for the normal common cold or the flu. You know, it, it will help with that. So I kind of feel like they have a point. It's not just a You know, that's all we've done and and that's going to be the end of it. And I think the other thing that they were talking about was they sell direct to business. And businesses now, I think, are a bit more aware of having things like hand sanitizers they'll always have like hand wash etc so if they've already got those relationships there they will just continue those relationships.
1: Yeah I think I think it has changed how people behave and even though it will probably tone down it already has toned down from the frenzy at you know when the pandemic first started but it will continue to be a way of life absolutely and people will continue to use these products and you know these guys they're selling they've They're predicting like a 1.3 to 1.4 million turnover in the current year, 522k gross profit with like a 350,000 net profit. So they're making money. They're
0: making a decent amount of money. They're
1: making really good money. Um, (laughs) The sticking, one of the sticking points, because they sold it as this amazing opportunity. They when they talked about the margins on the products, they talked about making something for one pound twenty, selling it for nine ninety nine. Making something for two pound thirty, selling it for like thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah, cr- crazy, crazy margins. margins. But the dragons doing the maths on those numbers, like something's not right here because when you have those sorts of margins, the gross profit that they are projecting off of their revenue should be much higher because, you know, gross profit is literally the the cost to make the product taken away from what you sell it for. So, you know, all of that margin is gross margin. And yet, when it reached their books, their gross margin was only 40%. So the dragons were like, hang on, we're, what's, what are you putting in your cost of sales that your gross margin is only 40%? And what it <laughs> transpired was, They led with the big, flashy retail number. The thing
0: that drew all of the dragons in. That's what they needed. They wanted to capture the dragons' attention, and they did.
1: Yeah, but they also sell to companies like Ocado. And when they sell to Ocado, they're making it at, like, £2.20. And they're selling it for... Three pounds 29. Yep. so the margin all of a sudden is not this giant margin that they lured the dragons in with, it's actually much, much smaller. So the margin is going to fluctuate based on what channel they're selling through, and they didn't lay that out transparently. Yeah,
0: they weren't upfront about it, and I think because of that, Deborah was one of the ones that was saying, you know, she was questioning the numbers, and so she was out. Um, Sarah and Stephen again weren't particularly interested and also felt that because the, they have other businesses and other great businesses you know their other businesses are not to be sniffed at either with the kind of revenue that they're making on those so they were just like we feel like we need somebody that's dedicated and focused to this if we're going to invest in this we don't want you distracted with other things um and i thought you know it is great they were you know they they're moving towards being like serial entrepreneurs right they talked about you know these are the only businesses that they have so far. That was that was their comment. And, you know, Peter was there to challenge immediately. You know, he wants them to be completely focused. And smooth-talking Josh was the one that was ready to basically be like, yes, I will be there. I will be there to do whatever it is. I'm going to put all of my time and energy into this because his company is already doing well. He has a leadership board on his company, so he's going to be advising them. So he was saying, you know, at first he was saying 100% of my time is going to be able to be on Let's Sanitise, but that didn't make any sense because if you're using some advisory time, you're using some percentage of your time there. So he was like, 95% of his time will be spent on this business. And that's what Peter wanted to hear. He wanted to make sure that they were going to be focused. I think the interesting point here was like, you know, Josh was very, very smooth talking. I was kind of a bit like, what's Lee bringing here? Because he was quite quiet (laughs) for most of the pitch, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean the thing is that issue of commitment is so interesting because they have these other successful businesses, and you think, well, as things start to open up, they are opening up. These businesses can start up again, and yeah, that question of will it draw them away from the sanitizer business, but they they were you know very clear about how they have management teams in place. The businesses are going to keep running, it and they're going to focus. They're going to focus on this opportunity, and Peter. This is what led Peter to make an offer because he really believed he believed them he believed he believed in what they were doing. um I mean I guess yeah we they edit the pictures, so maybe we just didn't get a sense of what the other guy was doing for the business maybe but they're off, they they seem to work well together so. I mean
0: yeah don't get me wrong. let's talk through the offers and then Lee did make a contribution when when <laughs> when they were trying to decide what they were going to do so Peter offered all of the money. Um, but he wanted 20%, so he was looking at four times what um, they were originally pitching for. Tuka was the other person that was interested in this business, so he said he would offer all of the money, but he wanted 25% of the business, so he actually wanted more um, than what Peter was offering, but he also said he would consider halving with Peter if Peter wanted to go that way, and Peter had a very, very funny line to say, you know, Tuka's very good at listening to, like, taking direction and and kind of listening to what Peter suggests. So yeah, he'd be happy to work with. he'd, that, he'd be happy to work together, that,
1: that, that was cheeky. That was super cheeky. That was very cheeky. <laughs> but yeah, but so two offers on
0: the table. Two offers
1: had. on the table, and they went. They went to the war, and this know. is where
0: Lee had um something to say. You know, Lee was offering some advice here because he was basically saying, "Trust me." like, bring them down to 7.5%. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, I'm like, of all the things that they're going to edit in for him to <laughs> say, it's going to be that. Yeah. I feel like they might lose the offer if they decide to try to come down to 15%. <laughs> if if both of them offered 20%, right, if Peter and Tufa had both offered 20%, then I think, yes, maybe they would have continued, like, they would have considered the 15%, uh, the 15% total, right, so the 75 each. But, because for the split for two of them they wanted twenty five percent. I thought, is it really cheeky. It's gonna like, is it gonna get to the point where they piss off the dragons and then the dragons are just like, we're just gonna pull our offer.
1: Yeah, that would have been bad if that was like his main <laughs> contribution to the pitch, Yeah, it was matches. losing the offer exactly. Uh, but they did. They tried. Like, yeah, they tried and counted at fifteen, and the dragons. Tuga was
0: immediately saying no, no. absolutely uh, not,
1: and and Peter was you know he was thinking because he originally offered that twenty and he let and Tuga pushed him up so Peter was saying I thought my offer was fair at twenty but then I think twenty five is still fair when you're getting two dragons but then they did you know they did say you know Peter said if you get us our money back we will drop down to twenty so. Not coming all the way down to 15, but meeting them in the middle, dropping down to 20 when they repay the initial investment. And they didn't have to, you know, unlike, uh, yeah, unlike earlier in the episode where 20 was too high, <laughs> this time they so they took it and they were happy to work with Peter and Tuka. I,
0: I think they made the right choice. They definitely made the right choice. And I think, you know, they are lucky. Um, that the offers weren't pulled, uh, I was really really nervous about that. I, I was thinking that the offers might get pulled, but they didn't, so they walked away with all of the money and giving away twenty five percent of the business business to begin with, dropping it down to twenty percent
1: yeah it'd be i mean it's interesting because a lot of the pitch was focused around that they took advantage of this moment with the pandemic in terms of like competing because going forward they've gonna i think they'll still make a lot of money with the sanitizer station for a while. But going forward, they are going to have to compete with the existing kind of hand care companies. And there are so many. And there are many. so many. And, and so that's one thing that, like, I think their numbers were solid, which is why they got an offer yeah. and an investment. But one of the things I thought is, like, when you think about, like, The Body Shop or L'Occitane or all these all these brands, like, they really have a brand. Yeah. Their brand, the brand that came into them was Let's Sanitise. Yeah. Like that's not a hand care, that doesn't feel like a luxury right? Yeah, it doesn't feel like a luxury hand care brand. It doesn't feel like uh or even just like a practical, kind of cheap hand care brand. And it's not cheap anyway, because they sell one of their products at thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah. Um but yeah, so so in terms of building this into a huge company, I think business to business may be their better route because they they don't. I don't think it's really a brand that will get consumers excited,
0: unless they decide to rebrand.
1: They could rebrand, and it'd be interesting to see if, like, if we do a follow up if they do rebrand. But I was I was interested that that never actually came up, or the question of branding when you're trying to sell consumers' hand care because the image of the product is usually a big part of that. Yeah, but I think. I think you can have confidence that these guys will find ways to make money because they are actually really good entrepreneurs and really solid and had really good numbers. So, yeah, that's why they're going better.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of What's The Pitch, guys. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. Please subscribe or follow us on whatever platform you're listening to us on and we will be back with you again next week.